0: Not a shock to anyone. I, I love. It. We're probably kicked off of Facebook now, aren't we? So, but anyway, I mean, I, I love Christmas. I love this time of year. This time of the year also is the busiest time of the year for us, especially ministerially. It's. It just seems like there's everything that begins to snowball, and uh, you know, technical difficulties last week. It got worse this morning. Believe it or not, I mean, it was. It's just the way things seem to tend to work. Uh, but having said all that. I enjoy, I love preaching about Christmas, um, you know, and biblically speaking, we know, we know Jesus wasn't born in December. We understand that, okay? Uh, we know that. We know he was born at the end of September, front end of October. We know that by the course of Abiah with Zacharias, who is John the Baptist's father, and you know, John the Baptist six months older than, than uh, Jesus is, you know. So we, we know biblically, we can calculate roughly when Jesus Christ was born, and it's not, uh, December 25th. And guess what? It doesn't matter. Amen. Because we love Christmas and we like this time of year. And if the world is going to celebrate, I'll tell you what I hate though. I hate the Xmas stuff. I hate the, but you know, there, there's an old preacher an old preacher, uh, who was, I mean, this guy, uh, would, would, this guy was hard nosed. I mean, Bible believer, Bible defender, great man of God. Uh, he, he, he brought something up one time. He says, anytime you look at a treasure map, X marks the treasure. So when they put the Xmas on there and take Christ's name out of Christmas, they're just marking where the treasure is. Amen. And that's so why I think of it like that now, because uh, otherwise, it, it kind of gets me goat a little bit. But nonetheless, I love this time. Despite I know there's some guys, some preachers, they do you know they want to tear it down. Uh, I'm not like that. I enjoy the time. I enjoy it with my family. We always have. I love the Christmas lights. It's something that I enjoy. We didn't raise our children up to make the the central theme um, all of the materialistic things. And, you know, and we raised them up. It was about family and it was time with family and time with this, and that. And as, as time went on, we brought in more decorations and more tra- That's just what we did because I never wanted the foundation to associate around something that is temporary, if you understand. So to me, I, I love the time. I, and again, it's something that I always have, but I love preaching about it. But I want to bring a thought to you tonight. This is more, this is going to be more probably of a Bible study this evening than it is a sermon. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 1 and looking at verses 18 through 25. The way it's going to work is I got a three-point introduction with a three-quick-point um, message on the back end from Matthew 1, just giving you a forewarning to know uh, where we're going if you guys tend to time those things. I don't know if you do or not, but nonetheless. But Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25 deals with the miraculous event that occurred, the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. And Matthew begins his gospel with this, saying, Now the birth of Jesus Christ is on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David." Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she brought forth her firstborn son, and called his name Jesus. So by way of introduction tonight, by way of introduction, and we're going to skip this next slide there, ignore that, I want us to look at a common survey. And the reason I want us to look at this tonight, and why this is really and truly vitally important, is because of the world we live in. We're going to, I want to look again, just by way of introduction on these three points, to understand where we live today. Only 6% of adults in our countries, in the four countries of the United Kingdom, identify as practicing Christians. While 42% say they are non-practicing Christians, only one in three non-Christians say they want to know more about Jesus Christ. And according to the same survey, over 25% of C of E, Church of England, clergy claim they do not believe in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Now, that's the culture we're living in today. So-called church leaders teach a congregation, at least over 25% of them, that there's no such thing as a virgin birth. Now, here's what we got to understand tonight, guys. Over 20 years ago... Protestant students were surveyed and found that 56% of those of those students studied for or studying for the ministry rejected the idea of the virgin birth. Now what does that mean? That's the legacy that you have of the critical thinking of the word of God. Those those in those that were studying to be in the clergy and to move forward and do this and that they became clergy. You say well why is it 25% compared to 56%? Because the other ones probably flunked out. They probably get and I'm not saying that negative about them. There is a high margin of those who do go to these schools and they just say, this is just not for me. And they leave and they they take off. And I understand that. But none of this should be a surprise to us. Romans in chapter three tells us in verse three, for what if uh, some did not believe, shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? Paul says, God forbid. Yea, let God be true, but every man a liar. See guys, our theology has never been based on majority rule. You know, our idea and and our, our holdings to eternal security, eternal salvation, has never been the majority rules. It's not a democracy. This is a theocracy. It's ruled by one, and that's God Himself, because that's His word, and He has solidified it. And the Bible tells me that forever, O Lord, Thy word is settled in heaven. Amen. We can argue till we're blue in the face about the word of God. At the end of the day, it's settled in heaven, not here. So we find today that there's a common survey amongst our own people that they deny the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. But there's a criteria set as well, and this is what we're going to look at as we get into it a little bit later on. It is said that the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ is the central fact of Christianity. As a matter of fact, it's the, the, the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ is the, the whole superstructure of Christian theology depends on that singular event. The reality is that the entire essence of Christianity, when you think about it, is predicated on the fact that Jesus Christ is God and he came in human flesh and something that had to be made clear through a virgin birth, okay? The virgin birth is an essential doctrine for every Christian today. If Jesus Christ had an earthly father, then the Bible is untrustworthy and because the Bible claims that he did not have one. So if, 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 he, had a, uh, if he had an earthly father, okay, then he can't be the son of who? Of God. He couldn't have come in the flesh. He couldn't have fulfilled that prophecy. And therefore, he couldn't have had pure blood and therefore could not have died for our sin. To accomplish the work that he had, the criteria that is set. He had to be born of a virgin, as prophesied, he had to be God, uh, uh, and, and such, he had to become Jesus, the God-man, which means he's 100% God and 100% man. You say, wait a second, I can't understand that. Again, I go back to the old thought. You're not, to, you're not told or commanded to understand it. We are just told to believe it. That's called faith. You know, Matthew 1 presents both human and divine natures of Christ. But we find today that, that so many people will argue this, this point, and they'll argue, and they'll say, well, wait a second, uh, what about the mist that floated around here and floated around there? The reason that we find that everything that Jesus Christ did, from his conception, to his birth, to his life, to his death, to his burial, to his resurrection, all of which was done according to the Scriptures, you have a record written long before the prophecy was fulfilled. In other words, you have a witness written of what was going to happen, and then it did happen, proven the validity of the Word of God. So that gets us to the third introductory point, is the consecrated Scriptures. The consecrated Scriptures. What does the word consecrate mean? It means sanctified. It means set apart. It means they are pure in their form. Isaiah 7, verse 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. That was written 750 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. Who, when he says, the, the, when he says uh, the Lord himself shall give you a sign, who is he speaking about? Don't answer it out loud. He's talking to Israel. For the Jew seeks a sign, in a, and, uh, or the Jew requires a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. Jeremiah chapter 31 tells us in verse 22, it says, How long wilt thou go about, O thou backsliding daughter? For the Lord hath created a new thing in the earth. A woman shall compass a man. All right, some will say that, that it was a mystery the Messiah would be God, uh, linking that together with 1 Timothy uh, 3.16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed unto the world, and received up in glory. Some will say that. But in our text today, in our own verses that we're looking at this evening, verses 22 and 23 says, Now all of this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. The prophet they're speaking of, again, is Isaiah, which was written, like I said already, 750 years before Jesus was born. So the reality, guys, that a virgin would conceive and bring forth a man child, which would be named Emmanuel, which means God with us, should not have been a shock, and it wasn't a shock to some people. You know, we 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 see the we'll use the video again uh, next week with uh, with the wise men, which is really and truly one of my favorite parts of the entire uh, uh, Christmas presentation. I absolutely love it, especially the one that we used last year because it's, it's such a high quality. And but you you almost like you feel their hearts. They when they saw that North Star, they had been looking for that. They were looking for that sign. They were looking for this to happen. And when they saw that, they were drawn. And it took them two, two and a half years to get from point A to point B to see Jesus Christ, the beautiful thing that had occurred. They were looking for the sign that was given. Do you remember in the book of Luke when we have the, the, the recording of the, the circumcision of Jesus Christ according to the, the eight days after his birth, he was brought into the temple and there was an elderly man, an old man by the name of Simeon. And Simeon looked for the promise of God. And she took the, he took that child up and he says, I have seen the eyes of God. I, he, thy servant can now, you know, he can, I can die now because you the promise was given that he was going to see the Savior. And he saw him that day as an eight-day-old baby. And he says, I can die now. So I want to look at the marvelous miracle that we speak about, which were exalted in the, the virgin birth. And the first thing I want us to see is I want to see the conception. And when we end this tonight, I hope that you're going to be a little closer to understanding and really enjoying the joy of what we look at this year. In verse 18, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. And again, guys, I hope, I really truly hope that. That you haven't heard this story or read this story so many times that it's 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 dulled your senses that it that it's lost its 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 spectacular nature in and of itself and and I understand that you know people say that familiarity breeds content and I get all of that but but never lose uh, the, the 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 marvelous miracle that occurs in this conception. Here, Matthew tells us that Mary was impregnated by the Holy Spirit of God. And let me just, you know, I want to show you something about this verse that I think is fascinating. But that word birth is the very same term in the Greek word as translated genealogy or generations or genes, if you will. In, ver, in, ver, in uh, chapter 1, 1, that is. In other words, Matthew is simply given the genealogy of Jesus Christ from a human side in chapter 1 and verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. You know, the divine side as we all the way get down to verse 18. Now the birth, the genealogy of Jesus Christ was on this wise. That, I mean, to me, that's just that's cool. I think that he, there's, look, it's not just the birth of Jesus Christ, but it's the whole lineage that God had promised that that Messiah would come through the tribe of Judah and where he would uh, come from all the way. Presents both sides of the geology. We understand that. But when we think about Mary as a person, you know, certain religions overemphasize Mary. Mary was not perfect. She was not sinless. She had other children. She was not a perpetual virgin. She's not co redemptress with Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, Catholicism teaches that she is a co redemptress, that you, you know, how Mary, Mother of God, that's all of that is paganism. I'm just going to make it very clear. I'm not trying to be mean tonight because it's Christmas time and I want to be nice and happy and all this, but I'm going to to draw the line in the sand. That's pure paganism. There's one place that you go for salvation, Jesus Christ. I am the Lord and I listen, you confess him, all right? Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. There is no other venue conduit that you go through other than the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But Mary was, she was a blessed person. I mean she you know Mary is a person we find now the birth of Jesus was on this wife when his mother Mary so we see Mary's identity all right we, we don't know much about her but here's a few things that we do know about her we know in, in John chapter 19 the bible tells us now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister Mary the wife of Cleophas and Mary Magdalene so within her immediate family she had another sister named Mary you know George Foreman named all of his children. I think he had like ten or 11 of them, George, so you know. But this was common. This was common in those days to have uh, Mary to be named. It was not an uncommon thing. We know we know a little bit more about her, as I already mentioned in Luke chapter one and verse thirty six, which says, "And behold, it says there, uh, uh, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and and this is the sixth month of her, uh, or sixth month with her, who was called barren." Uh, so, who was that son? We mentioned it just a minute ago John the Baptist, all right, Zacharias and um, Elizabeth. And uh, so we see that Mary had a sister named Mary, she has a cousin named Elizabeth. Luke 3, verse 23 says, and Jesus himself uh, being, began to be about 30 years of age, being as, as was supposed the son of Joseph, which was the, the son of Heli. And, and if we can safely assume in the genealogy in the book of Luke, which gives us to the other side, uh, that, that same genealogy is coming forth from Mary's, we can conclude that her father's name was Heli. So just a little bit about who she was, and we don't know a lot about her, but what we do know about her is that she was a, she was a, a, a woman of integrity. Mary's integrity, I think it's important for us to understand that her early life uh, was spent in Nazareth, and Mary was probably a poor, hardworking, and no doubt a very righteous lady. Uh, I, I believe she was a, a woman of good character, and and if you ever want to do a character study of Mary, I think it would, it would do you some good, and and uh, all you need to do is listen to her own words. And uh, In Luke chapter 1, we have a parallel account of the birth of Jesus Christ and, and its annunciation. Uh, in Luke chapter 1, I don't know if that's already up there. Uh, there it is. Um, Luke chapter one, verse thirty five it says that the angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the Highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Uh, you know, so when you look at that, guys, you know, you I hate I don't want to say read between the lines. God is not going to choose a vessel for the Son of God to be born through to fulfill this 750-year-old prophecy through a lady who didn't have integrity. Mary had a, a, she was a woman of integrity, and we know that by her her response in verse 38 of our text tonight. I want you to notice her submissiveness to the Word of God. Luke chapter 1, verse 38, the Bible tells us here, and Mary said, "'Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word, and the angel departed from her.'" Verse 45 says, and blessed is she that uh, believe, uh, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. She didn't argue. She didn't complain. She was submissive to the word of God. And we, we learn a second thing about Mary, that not only did she submit to the word of God, but man, she was a woman who was faithful to the promise of God. I mean, I, I, I question myself, because we live in a different time, a different dispensation. We live in a different age. and but what would you do? you know? Now, I wonder, I, I perso- this, here's what I personally believe, okay? We know the prophecy was that he was going to be born in Bethlehem, all right? We know that the prophecy had given that he was going to come out of Nazareth, we know that, and we know that there was a bo- there was a, that he was going to be born of a virgin. Now, here she is a lady in Nazareth, okay? But he had to be born in Bethlehem, all right? And now the angel comes and says, you're going to conceive a child, But it's not going to be with Joseph, be the Holy Ghost, and and he's going to be the Son of God. He's going to be the one that saves the whole world. I wonder, does she go, Wow, it's me. (laughs) I I do. I wonder if she's put these things together from the Scripture and says, Can you believe it? Thank, praise God. No, she didn't let it go to her head or anything. She just says, "Be it unto what you said. I'm going to submit to the Word of God. I'm going to listen. I'm going to trust you, Angel, and I'm going to move on just like the God has told me to." There was no human historical precedence that would give to a virgin birth, that would give her any support whatsoever. But I think one of the most lovely things that we see in her response is in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 and 47, saying, And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. Can you imagine receiving this news? And I wonder sometimes, did she say, what are people going to say? You know, we're just engaged right now, Joseph and I. We're not married. We're not, I mean, what are they going to say? And I mean, yet her thing was, I'm going to magnify the Lord is what I'm going to do. My spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. So this righteous lady, was. she was a true Old Testament saint. I mean, she was someone who perceived when God's Word was true and spoken, and she praised God and all that He was doing at that moment. I don't see that she even was concerned about what was going to happen weeks and months down the road. She was praising God in the moment that she was in. I think we can learn from that, can't we? especially in this time of hustle and bustle and business, and am I going to get this list done? I'm looking at what we got to have done over the next seven days and the school coming in for the concerts and the practices and all of this thing just to lead up to next Sunday night. And I'm thinking, my soul, and I thought, you know what? We've gotten it done for a decade now. We're going to get it done this week. Amen. And I'm looking forward to it. I am looking forward to it. Mary's the bride-to-be. It's another important factor Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together. So the bridegroom, the bridegroom we have here, um, that's not part of it. Where is it is, Mary. So the bridegroom. Uh, a little is known about Joseph. Uh, he's described as a carpenter. We know that. Uh, we can see him as a hardworking man. Uh, he's identified in verse 19 as as having been a righteous person. We know he's a godly man, uh, uh, you know, like Mary, you know, a, a true Old Testament saint and. The background that we find of Joseph and Mary, I believe, is is vitally important because when we look at it, we see that they were probably young, okay? Uh, Most Bible scholars believe they would have been in their teen years, which was common in those days. Uh, These two were most likely older teenagers um, when they were espoused because there's a tremendous amount of maturity involved in their lives. I mean, the responses that are recorded in Scripture, when you begin and you stop and you break down what they did and how they did it. it, shows a high level of maturity, which I think you can take that back probably to their parents as well, that, that something was done right here to make them be so switched on. But the Old, the old Testament and the rabbinical writings, they distinguish, they distinguish two stages of a, a Jewish marriage. One is called the Kaddishan and the other one the Chuppah. Uh, we find the first stage, which is the betrothal period, as mentioned in Deuteronomy 20, verse 7. We won't go into great detail about that, but basically, you have two families that get together. They think their children are going to be a pretty good match, and they set this stage fairly early on in life, and they let them kind of grow up together. And And, uh, and, and normally, there's there's about a 12-month uh, duration, a, a period of protection, where the would-be husband and wife and and uh, with their partner's you know, fidelity is proven, and and this and that, and um and again, it's a contract is what it is. So once the first stage is completed, the chuppah, uh as a second stage takes place, and that's the actual wedding. A Jewish wedding typically takes about seven days, okay? So there's you, you find with the, the bride of Christ, which is us, the church of God, when you look at the marriage supper of the Lamb, how long is the marriage supper of the Lamb going to happen? When well, the marriage supper of the Lamb is going to happen, and then there's the marriage supper of the Lamb, which is back here on earth. And 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 some people believe that that seven-day wedding picture here is also a picture of the seven years of preparation that you find, uh, which most of that's going to be the judgment seat of Christ, then the marriage of the Lamb, then the marriage supper at the end of the tribulation period, but that's a point of another day. But um, uh, anyway, it will take seven days, and we see that when Jesus Christ, his first miracle is the wedding of Cana, if you remember, uh, John chapter 2. Uh, that's why the, the, the old wine had ran out. They usually watered down the fruit juice and watered it down. But then when Jesus Christ turned water into wine, by the way, it was not alcoholic wine. Wine, it was oinus, all right? Oinus is just fruit juice. It could have been fig juice, whatever it may have been. doesn't sound too appetizing. But nonetheless, when they rejoiced in the new wine, it wasn't watered down or rotten or old. That's when they were, they were saying, wait, mate, we usually have this in the front end. You guys have saved it to the last. But nonetheless, again, another story for another time. That's what takes place there. There's a, a, the betrothal period goes through, the wedding happens, and then once all of that is, is, is finalized, there's the consummation of the marriage. Uh, again, another t- period of testing and probation to ensure both bride and bridegroom's fidelity one to another. The use of the words husband and wife, reference to Joseph and Mary, which we find in Matthew 1, Nineteen and twenty it merely indicates the validity of their betrothal, meaning they had been found to be pure. You know, they had been found to to not had consummated the marriage. We see that in verse twenty five, makes it very clear, saying, "And we, he knew her not till she brought forth her firstborn son." And similar verse you find in eighteen, which is before they came together. So, in other words, guys, it was a betrothal period when Mary. Uh, was made to be with child uh, of the Holy Spirit of God. And again, it's evidence of Joseph's righteousness as well as a man who would not have violated God's standard. Uh, God looks greatly God is greatly concerned with our purity and virginity in, in, is highly valued in the eyes of God. It's a sacred thing, and it was one to, to be upheld in, in, uh, in God's eyes. So I want you to look at Mary by the Spirit here real quick. We see this in in verse 18 in the latter part of the verse. She was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 1 gives us a little further indication, speaking about the appearance here. So it says in verses 26 and 29, it says, In the sixth, sixth month of the angel Gabriel was sent from God into the city of Galilee in Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph, the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary, and the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. Verse 29 says, And when she saw him, she was troubled at the saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation uh, this should be. So there's the appearance of the angel coming and giving her uh, the, uh, the salutation. Secondly, we find the the announcement, verses 30 through 35 And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also this holy thing shall be born of thee, shall be called the Son of God. What an incredible announcement. I mean, that no one, no one, I mean, listen, out of Nazareth, nobody expected anything good ever to come out of Nazareth. As a matter of fact, that's exactly what some of the leaders said. He, he, this guy's the Messiah, came out of Nazareth. Nothing good ever came out of Nazareth. But here's, here's this, this, this woman. Nobody would have thought this. No one would have had have expected it, and yet she was on board the entire time. Notice with me the adoration real quick. And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste and into a city of Judah and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth, and it came to pass. And Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary. The babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And, and, and whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy, and blessed is she, uh, is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. It's truly, guys. A marvelous miracle. It's something that I believe in our world today that we need. We speak, you know, but we speak about this miracle. And one of the things that we speak about that we emphasize is the birth of Jesus Christ. That's what we look at. Okay. Now I mentioned just a moment ago, and I'm not, I don't we don't have time tonight to go over Luke one and two for me to show you how we know when Jesus Christ was born, being the end of September or the front end of of, uh, of October. But we do know it was those times. It actually comes together in the time of the Feast of the Trumpets or the Feast of the Tabernacles, depending on when you placed that time, which is another thing that is important in Jewish history. But I'm saying all of that to make this particular point today. We talk about the birth as if it was miraculous. And let's be honest. He was born just like anyone else, wasn't he? Nine months later, you know? Didn't have an epidural, but, you know, he was born just like anyone else, right? I mean, that's how it happened, you know, in, in a barn somewhere, in a barn in Bethlehem, yeah? So we fast forward 33 and a half years. And Jesus Christ died on a cross for the sins of mankind, yeah? He died just like any other man, didn't he? There's nothing miraculous about his death, was it? Millions upon millions of people were killed upon the cross by the Romans, and and nothing was right, nothing was different. Millions of people died, and millions of people have been born. The marvelous miracle about this time of year in reality is the conception, which more than happened, more than likely happened at the end of December or the front end of January, depending on when you place that birth to Jesus Christ. And the other marvelous miracle wasn't his death, it was his resurrection. So guys, this time of year, we need to look and understand what the true miracles are, what the Lord has really done for us, and how he has blessed us beyond belief to give us an access of eternal life through the fulfillment of his miraculous conception, his marvelous birth, his glorious sinless life, his painful death for our substitution, but his victorious resurrection. That's what we celebrate this time of year. And that's why we sing out songs and hymns and everything that we sing out in the world today. And we lift up and praise his name. I don't know about you guys. I love Christmas time. I love I love the truth of the Word of God. I love the fact that Mary was just an ordinary, hard-working girl from Nazareth, man with an ordinary, hard-working, you know, uh, uh, fiancé that, that did the right thing at the right opportunity so the Scriptures may be fulfilled. We bow your heads tonight. Father, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity and time tonight. I do pray uh, that your Word, Lord God, would reign supreme, Lord, that we lift it up on high. I ask you tonight, just take your word, write it upon our heart, and help us, Lord, just even be more mindful this time of year of the marvelous miracle that you have given us in the conception of Jesus Christ, his birth, his life, his sacrifice, Lord, and his resurrection. As we lift up the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, throughout this time, let us use this opportunity, let us use this season to bring glory unto you. In Jesus Christ's name, we ask all of these things. Amen. Amen. I do hope and pray that God was good tonight in the preaching the teaching, and teaching His Word. I know different, a little bit of a different of a message tonight, more of a Bible study, uh, but I hope you got all that tonight. If any questions that you guys have on it, hit me up. You can text me or email me, whichever one is easiest. Stand with